Mark 11, beginning in verse 27, it says, They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you the authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will say, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they feared the people, for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. So this story really centers on the question of authority. Specifically, we have the religious leaders of the time approaching Jesus and asking him the question, by what authority are you doing these things or who gave you authority to do this? And we can really focus in on the objects of these statements. What are the things that the religious leaders of the time struggled with so vehemently? What is it that they were so concerned that Jesus was doing that was forcing them, in a sense, to confront him with questions of what it is that, that he was doing in their midst. For those of us that have been through this study and see just what Jesus has done throughout the book of Mark, we've seen him do a lot of ridiculous things, things that have uh, brought about the ire of the religious leaders. He's been healing the sick. He's been casting out demons. He's been teaching in a different Way He's been opening up the scriptures that they all knew, but he had been interpreting them in ways that they were not expecting him to interpret them. He's been eating with the wrong people, with the sinful people that have been ostracized and cast out and marginalized and put out of the community, yet Jesus invites them in and for the very clean and very proper and very legalistic rulers of the time, they say, we don't do that. Jesus has also been offering the kingdom to outcast. In the very beginning of his ministry, he begins by saying the kingdom is here. It's among us. By implication, he's saying, I am the one who is bringing it to bear. The thing that you've been waiting for for centuries is happening through me. Keep your eyes and your ears open to see what that looks like and what that demands of you. He's also been forgiving sins. He's been causing the religious leaders to ask big questions. And from the very early chapters of the book, as early as chapter 3, we see the religious leaders wanting to plot to kill Jesus because of what he is stirring up in the hearts and minds of the people. But in particular, they're not just concerned about these things in the past. What they're specifically concerned with is Jesus' action in the passage immediately preceding this, where Jesus cleanses the temple. For the church crowd, this is that passage where Jesus shows up into the temple courts, seeing uh, the religious leaders um, selling sacrificial animals, perhaps making a little bit of money on the side, and Jesus goes in there and throws over the table saying, you've turned this house into a den of thieves. But he wasn't just concerned with the fact that the religious leaders might have been making money on this. He was concerned with the fact of what the temple had become, this beacon of hope and life to the people had been turned into nothing other than an institution a way to protect people's own interests, a way to keep 
people out. Even in the construction of the temple, we see in the courts of the Gentiles, this was the Gentiles coming into this sacred space that was being occupied by people selling animals for sacrifice. And there's an implication there in this act that Jesus is sort of ticked, that worship is being upset by what's going on outside. Now, for our understanding of this passage, what we have to understand is the religious leaders, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, this was their sphere. This was the place where they demonstrated rule and authority and power. And for them to see what Jesus was doing, it almost evoked a response similar to, who do you think you are? This is our turf. You can't just come in here and overthrow stuff and say what's wrong with our institution. There's nothing wrong with our institution. Who are you? I tried all week to come up with examples of the who do you think you are, and the best I could come up with was this. I mentioned that Kate and I are very young parents. I mentioned that we have just welcomed baby Jude Thomas James into the world not more than a month ago. And there are moments at home when it seems as though my thoughts about how Jude, the needs that he has, Kate, gives me the look of, who do you think you are? No, he's not hungry. I just fed him. No, he doesn't need a diaper change. I just did that. And I, I try to pitch in. I, I'm, I'm really painting a bad picture of myself here. Um, but you can see that it's almost as though Kate knows the needs that, that Jude has. And when I just kind of stumble in and say something, it's like, mm -mm, no. There might be other moments in your world as teachers, perhaps, where people come into your classroom and tell you how you should be teaching your lessons. I see some teachers in the room and you know what I'm talking about. Or perhaps you're a nurse and people come in and they have diagnosed themselves on WebMD because that's the way to go. And they just show up to the hospital or whatever and say, I think I've got this figured out. I just need, you know, a couple milligrams of this. I couldn't go there, Jonathan. Jonathan's like in the back coaxing me. I'm like, you got this. I don't, I'm sorry. I don't know med medical stuff, but they think as though they know the answer, but really that's your sphere of influence. And what's happening in this passage is Jesus showing up and the religious leaders believe that he has no sort of authority here. So what they begin to do is say, who do you think you are? By what authority are you coming in here into our turf and telling people this nonsense that the temple is going to be destroyed or that the temple is going to be judged? Who do you think you are Jesus. And now Jesus does what ancient rabbis do. He doesn't answer the question. He asks a different question. So they approach him saying, by what authority, by whose authority are you doing these things? He says, well, I got a question for you. And if you can answer it, then I'll answer your question. He says, um, answer me and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. And he goes back to discuss John's baptism the character that opens up the book of Mark where we see him preparing the way for Jesus, the man who has created, in a sense, uh, a thought of hope in the people's lives. People from that area would, would leave and go meet him in the wilderness to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, but also to be baptized as though they were partnering with him in this understanding that the kingdom 
was coming. And something else that John did was he said, there is one who is coming after me, and I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. John's job was to be a forerunner for the person that the Israelites had been waiting for for some time. So Jesus says John's baptism, was it from heaven or from human beings? Who's the source of the authority behind John the Baptist's teaching? And this creates a dilemma for the religious leaders. And they begin to think and process, and they, they huddle off, and they say, okay, Jesus just asked us a big question. And imagine the scene. They kind of show up and say, who do you think you are? And Jesus says, well, I got a question for you. Retreat and go confer with one another. And the, the response that they come up with is not too great, but they say, if we say that it's from heaven, which is basically them saying it's from God, then what we're doing is we are legitimizing John's ministry. We are legitimizing the fact that everyone was leaving this place, the temple even, to go out and to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. That's our job. That's the thing that we do. If we say that it's from, from God, then we are legitimizing what the people believe, and we're legitimizing John's ministry, and also we are legitimizing Jesus. John the Baptist, the one who is saying, there's one greater that's coming after me, and oh, by the way, it's this guy, the one that I'm baptizing right here and right now, it's Jesus. If they were to say it's from heaven, they would, in a sense, be saying, Jesus, you do have the authority to be here. You do have the authority to be speaking these things. You do have the authority to be doing these things. On the other side, though, if they said that this was just normal, run-of-the-mill, it's your own ideas, going out into the wilderness, baptizing people, if we were to say that, that it's not from God, it's just from, from you, then we're going to create a revolt. Because these people are passionate, in a sense, followers of, of John and his ideas. They believed the fact that he was saying, one greater than me is showing up. And the fact that Jesus was drawing all these people into his ministry that were following him and, and listening to his teaching and having their lives transformed and changed, the fact that Jesus was bringing in the people on the margins and the outskirts to invite them to new life and to forgiveness and to hope. If, if the religious leaders said, this is just your own imagination, it wouldn't be good. So they come back and say, we've talked about it. Good question, Jesus. We don't know. This story um, is expanded upon in the next passage in the book of Mark. Jesus, after this, this interchange between he and the religious leaders where they have no idea how to answer this one question from him, he tells a story about a landowner, a landowner who builds and constructs a vineyard. This is a, a very popular image in uh, ancient Near Eastern thought. This was not Jesus' own construal of, of an idea, but this is, has deep roots within the Old Testament where a landowner is building a vineyard. We see this in Isaiah chapter 5. But the way that Jesus tells this story, it's, it's a bit different. The landowner makes this vineyard and then puts tenants in the vineyard to work it. And he leaves them there, and they agree upon uh, a, a payment that they will give to the landowner at some time. And when time comes, the landowner sends a servant to go and to retrieve the money or the, the first fruits of this vineyard. It takes about four years or so from a, for a vineyard from the beginning to actually 
bring forth fruit. So you can see that these people that are in the vineyard working it, it's become theirs. They feel entitled to it. They feel as though this is something that is due them. But when the landowner sends a, a, a servant to go get this payment, it is not greeted with much cordiality. In fact, the servant is beaten and sent back home with nothing. The landowner sends another servant and another servant and another servant, and these servants are either beaten or killed until finally the landowner says, certainly, if I send my son, then they will give the payment that is due to me. Yet what we see in this story is even the son, the beloved son, when he goes to these people, he's killed. This story that Jesus is telling is emblematic of the religious leaders and the way that they have dealt with people that have come to them. Even farther back with just Israel being completely obstinate towards the message of the prophets where they showed up to say, repent. Where they showed up to say that God is on the move here and we need to be something different. We need to be something better. We need to, to follow God in a more committed way but the people that have become entrenched in this land that just want the fruit of the vineyard have become violent and have completely shunned the message of the prophets and ultimately the message of Jesus. This is Jesus again saying, I'm going to die. I'm going to be sacrificed. But even in this story, he goes back to Psalm 118 and says, that the stone that's been rejected will become the capstone or the cornerstone. As if to say, it's not just about the injustice that's taking place, but God's plan is different, and I will be justified. So this interchange is, is taking place, and Jesus concludes the story by saying, listen, you guys can't answer my question, so I'm not going to answer yours. But in a sense, him saying that he's not going to answer that, he really is answering that. When you think about all the, the background that's going on in their minds, like if we say that this is from, if we say that John's baptism is from heaven, then that's going to legitimize who Jesus is. But we don't want that to be legit. So we're going to, we think that John was crazy and we think that Jesus is crazy. And they just, they demonstrate themselves to be the type of people that do not want to affirm anything that John and or Jesus are doing. This is a strange story, and again, all week and even further, I've been wrestling with what to make of this story for us. And I've got three questions that I want to ask us. First, what role are you playing in the story? When you think about these people that have become so entrenched in what they believe to be their role, the powers that be that say, Jesus, by whose authority are you coming into this place? No, this is what we do. Or if you think about the parable of the, the, the tenants, the people that say, you can't get any of the fruit of this vineyard even though it's yours. In fact, we will beat and or kill you. It's so easy for us as 21st century Americans to open up the Bible and to play the hero in the story. But sometimes I'm struck by asking the bigger question, are we in some way demonstrating ourselves to be 
recalcitrant and hard-hearted and obstinate towards the things that God is doing in our life and in the lives of those around us? What role are we playing in the story where King Jesus shows up with authority? Do we allow him to demonstrate that authority? Which leads into the second question. Have you acknowledged Jesus's authority in your life? When we, when we read through Mark, we see Jesus doing these crazy things. One story in particular that comes to mind is the stilling of the storm where the disciples are on the boat and Jesus is downstairs sleeping and they think that everything is going to go absolutely off the rails. And Jesus gets up, tells the wind and the waves to go back where they came from and the waters become still and the disciples are in amazement at who Jesus is. In our lives, do we demonstrate ourselves to be the ones who are filled with awe and wonder at what Jesus is doing? Or do we demonstrate ourselves to be the ones that feel invaded when he starts to approach? No, this is our land. This is our territory. You stay over there. We don't want anything that you're bringing to the table. Have we in our lives acknowledged the authority of Jesus? Third question. Are we led by the Spirit to act on Jesus' behalf? N.T. Wright says, if we take the New Testament seriously, it appears that those who follow Jesus, who are equipped with his Spirit, are themselves given authority under his direction to act in his name in the world. Where, this is N.T. Wright's example, where he says that when Jesus approaches the temple, he's like that guy that shows up to direct traffic when an accident is happening that's not wearing a police officer uniform. He just gets out of his car and starts to, to give his own uh, two cents. Where are the traffic jams in our world that are waiting for people to step quietly forward and take charge? Where are the temples that need to be challenged and warned? Where are the people who will know how to give wise answers to the question, who do you think you are? If it is the case that we have acknowledged the authority of Jesus, if it is the case that we have uh, submitted ourselves to him, if it is the case that we claim to be following him, to allow him to be Lord and King of our lives, are we acting in such a way through the Spirit that we are able to bring heaven to earth? Or do we just turn a blind eye to the things that we see? Another bad example of this, Facebook. I see so much garbage on Facebook. And this week in particular, I saw an interchange amongst some friends and it, it was a great question. And it was a, a question that, um, is contentious in our society. And I saw the way that self-proclaimed Christians were taking this issue and completely berating people and in so doing, giving a poor name to Jesus and to his church. And as I'm watching this unfold on Facebook, mind you, I have this internal battle of do I say anything? 
because we all know that Facebook interchanges are nearly worthless because people can kind of flex and be who they're not really when they're talking to you face to face and it's difficult. Is it something where you engage or is it something where we step back? And we can also think about just the, the things that we see in our own lives, the things that we see our friends, our family going through, the things that we see our friends engaging in where they desperately need Jesus in love to say there's a different way, there's a better way, there's a, mil a more hope-filled way? Or have we become comfortable where we don't look for the tables to overthrow, where we don't look to engage at risk of what people might think or say about us? Do we cower in fear because of how it will be perceived or through Jesus and what he has done in and through us, are we able to engage in a way that he would? From this passage where we just have Jesus showing up and the, the, the religious leaders just kind of stiff-arming him, there's a few things that we can take away. What role is it that we're playing in this story? Who does our life look like? Do we hold Jesus and keep him at bay, or are we allowing him to have Authority? Have we acknowledged and submitted to who he is in our lives? For the Christians in the room, does that look a certain way? Or is it just a prayer that we prayed 5, 10, 15 years ago and there's been no demonstrable change in between here and there? And if we are following Jesus, are we allowing the Spirit to work in and through us? And my examples are terrible, but hopefully you get the point. Allowing Jesus to work in and through us so much that we become his hands and his feet speaking life and hope and peace and mercy and forgiveness to the people that need to hear it. The people who are also empowered by the Spirit to call sin, sin in the lives of our friends and our family in a way that does not demonstrate legalism or judgment, but demonstrates love and care. I hope tonight that regardless of where you are in your journey, I hope what you see through this passage is not just life tips, but what you see is King, King Jesus who wants so desperately to be a part of your life. King Jesus who so desperately wants to radically transform you from the inside out, who so desperately does not want you to be complacent and stagnant and bored and just sitting there. King Jesus who wants and needs you to do the hard work in our society, in this time of loving people well and forgiving people quickly and engaging in the difficult conversations and the difficult circumstances that life puts in our place. Collectively, as a community, just looking out, I know that we have some wins where people have stepped up to the plate in a way that has put them on the spot where they just stick their neck out and maybe it gets chopped off and maybe it doesn't. But my hope is that even more corporately, we can begin to engage in Jesus in this way to evoke real change in this town and in this region for the kingdom. Whatever that looks like for you, one of the great things about family is that we're all in different places. 
and the people that need you to be Jesus are different than the people in my life that need me to be Jesus, but I'm convinced that if we are living in that calling, we will see change and we will see transformation and as a community we will begin to celebrate what Jesus is doing and it will no longer be just the words that we say or the things that we sing, but it will be life that we see demonstrated each and every day when we allow the Spirit to work in and through us, when we submit to the authority of Jesus, when we allow him to take complete ownership of who we are, when we pray those prayers of use me, buckle up, and allow God to work in and through you in ways that you've never, ever seen.